guys, it's your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop. I am super excited to dive into our 10-episode mini-series on the Cascade Mountains in Washington State market. Super cool market, really cool part of the country. Wanna give you guys a couple of notes first before we get started. If you guys are looking for up-to-date income numbers or data or purchase prices on properties in these markets, you can find them at theshorttermshop.com. You can set up a search to look for properties in any of the 20 markets that we operate in. You can also sign up to work with any of our short-term shop agents in any of those markets. So if you buy with us in any of those markets, we teach you everything you need to know about how to manage a short-term rental for free. And you can do that at theshorttermshop.com. Also, if you know you want to work with us already, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we'll get you set up with one of our agents in one of our 20 markets. We will, we have also got a Facebook group, short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book on Facebook. If you guys want to just join us, it's 60,000 of my closest friends talking about short-term rentals and managing them and buying them all day long. And I believe that's it. And we can go ahead and dive into the show. Make sure to give us a like, follow, five-star review, etc., on YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, all at The Short-Term Shop. I'll stop talking at you and let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to episode six of The Short-Term Show special episode series on the Cascade Mountains in Washington. We have two familiar faces here, Doug and Brenna, to help us on this episode. We'll have Brenna introduce herself first. Brenna, go ahead. Hey guys, I'm Brenna, the CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop with Avery. So I'm here to delve into the financing questions that you may have for this market. And Doug, just introduce yourself again really quick in case somebody's just starting on episode six. Hi, I'm Doug Wolf. I'm the lone short-term shop agent for Washington State and uh, glad to be back. All right. So let's talk about lending here uh, <clears throat> and financing. So there's a few types of financing you can get for short-term rentals. I think the the easiest type to find, and I posted a video about this on Instagram and some of you guys like gave me hell about it. And here's the deal. I'm right. Um, but conventional financing is the easiest type of financing to find it. If you qualify, they will give you a conventional loan. And a lot of y'all were like, they don't just give it to you. If you qualify, it's the easiest type to find. And that's what I mean by you can walk into any mortgage brokerage, bank, lending institution, anywhere in the country, and they do conventional loans. So let's talk about this. Um, Brenna, can you go over what is used to qualify you for a conventional loan? Yeah. So conventional loans are known as full doc loans, full document loans, which means it goes off of your personal debt and your personal income and your personal credit score. So we will pull your credit and it will come up with your three credit bureaus. We use the median credit score. Then we look at all of your monthly debts and then divide that by your income and come up with your debt to income ratio. And that's how generally conventional loans are approved. Okay. So they're taking into account how much money you make and how much debt you have. So what is the minimum percent down you can put for a conventional investment loan? For investment only, the minimum is 15%. So a lot of people think 20%, but the minimum is actually just 15% if you're just using it solely for an investment property. Got it. So you can put down 15%. I think a lot of people mistakenly think that 20 or even 25% is the minimum, but it's actually 15 
per Fannie Mae standards, you may have to call around and ask a few lenders because they might have specific rules that are just specific to their company in terms of the percent down that you can put 15 per Fannie Mae. Yeah. So a lot of banks and stuff will have what you're talking about is overlays or rules on top of what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allow. So you always want to ask your lender um, if they allow 15% down on investment only properties. Also, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allow you to use what's known as proposed rental income to help offset your debt to income ratio. So the property that you're purchasing, we can get proposed rental income back on that property and use um, some of that depending on if you're an experienced investor or all of it if you are an experienced investor. So if you're not, we can only use the amount to offset your mortgage payment. If you are an experienced investor, we can use 100% of that net rental income that comes back on the appraisal. Okay. So a few more questions about conventional loans. So can I just go get as many conventional loans as I can? Like as long as I qualify, is there a, a limit on how many I can get? So you have you have to get up to max 10 financed residential properties. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will not allow you to go over 10 financed properties. So I, I emphasize the word financed and residential because if you own a property free and clear, that doesn't count against your number of properties financed. So you could have nine financed properties and own one free and clear where you still have one more. And then I emphasize residential because a lot of you guys are are doctors or, or lawyers and you ask if your practice, your office practice counts. And that does not because that is commercial in nature. So it's 10 max financed residential properties. All right. And let's talk about married people. So if you are married, you can alternate whose name is on each loan and get 20 total as long as you can each qualify on your own. But if you put both of your names on every single loan, then you can only get 10 collectively. So keep that in mind if you're a two-income household to try and alternate whose name goes on each loan because then you can get 20 for your household <laughs> rather than just 10. All right. Uh, and Typically, conventional loan interest rates are going to be better than any other type of interest rates. So there's some conflicting information about there uh, about this out there. Some short-term rental investors say that you should immediately go DSCR or commercial and not mess up or not, I hate to use the word mess up, and not touch your DTI with conventional loans. But I am the opposite. I think conventional is the easiest to get, the lowest interest rate. And so I would argue to get knock out your 10 conventionals before you switch to DSCR or, you know, go as far as you can. You might not be able to get all the way to 10 and still qualify with your debt to income ratio, but I would recommend getting as many conventionals as you can before you switch to DSCR or, or commercial, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, because they're just, to me, it's just the easiest to find. The interest rate's going to be the best. They're going to be the least amount of, rules like uh, prepayment penalties and things like that. But before we move on to, to DSCR, we have a few more things to talk about here. So Brenna, what's a jumbo loan? We hear that term a lot. Jumbo loans are just loans that are above the conforming loan limit. So the FHFA comes out yearly with the conforming loan limit. So if anything is over that, it would be considered jumbo. A lot of people think that jumbo loans are harder to get financed, and that's it's not the case. It's just a portfolio loan, basically, instead of a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan. Interest rates are similar, about the same. Um, same, you know, for jumbo investment only, you do have to put 20% down uh, for second home vacation homes. You can still put that 10% down like a conventional loan. So um, contrary to popular belief, they are not harder to get 
financing on there very similar. It's just the loan amount versus conforming loan limits. Okay. So jumbo loan is just a a loan for a higher amount. It works very, very similarly to a conventional, but it's technically not conventional. Correct. All right. And then let's talk about that one that you mentioned called a vacation home or second home loan. What's that? So a lot of people will think second home and vacation homes are different. It's the same thing. So it's one or the other. It's the same definition. So a second home is somewhere that you intend to vacation. um, And then Fannie Mae will allow you to rent it out when you are not vacationing there. Uh, The general rule of thumb is you have to stay there for some time out of the year. They don't give a specific amount of days, but you do have to, your primary intent has to be to vacation there first, and then you can rent it out. I do want to preface again, there are a lot of banks and lenders that have overlays that will not allow you to rent out your second home. So you always want to do your due diligence and ask them up front if they allow that and you want to get that in writing in an email. If they do not, then obviously you don't want to go with them if your plan is to rent it out some. Um, So just do your homework on that. Okay. So we want to make sure that we're following the rules here because we don't want to commit mortgage fraud. So things that would potentially fall into the category of being a gray area would be you really aren't supposed to have more than one vacation home loan in the same market. Um, what are what are some other gray areas that you want to stay out of? Um, if you plan on renting it 100% and never visiting the property, then that's not a vacation home. That is a an investment only. If you are forming a partnership to do it, then that's generally not a vacation home. If you're you know running numbers as an LLC, like that's not a vacation home. You just need to do that investment only. Put that extra five percent down because again. Second homes do allow you to do 10% down, but you just don't want to be caught in that gray area because you do sign what's known as an FBI occupancy certification on every single loan. If they find out that you are doing um, this loan for other means than what it is actually for, you can get charged with mortgage fraud and that will be on your credit report for your life. And we don't want that. (laughs) So make sure guys, if you're running spreadsheets on these things and you're really not planning to stay there, you're really truly planning on using this as an investment, just put that extra 5% down and do a conventional investment loan. Uh, Let's see, anything else related to investment? So it's your own personal debt to income. You can only have 10, um, easier to find. We've touched on jumbo and and vacation home. We can always come back if we feel like we've missed anything. So let's talk about the second type of loan that I think is the second easiest to find, but still not that easy. There's a handful of lenders in the country who will do them for short-term rentals and they are DSCR loans. So Brenna, can you give us a definition of that? Yeah. DSCR loan does not go off of your personal debt or personal income. It's not a conventional loan. It's actually a business purpose loan. It goes off the property or purchasing's proposed monthly rental income and the proposed monthly mortgage payment. They generally want at least a one-to-one ratio. That means if your mortgage payment's $3,000 a month, then that proposed rental income needs to come back at $3,000 a month or higher. Um, It is 20% down. You know, I hear out there that some people allow 15% down, but it's very few and far between, and and you are going to be hard-pressed to close on time, if at all, with that. Um, It is a great you know, leverage tools. So Avery's saying, you know, try to get your conventionals first, which I totally agree. But sometimes if your debt to income ratio this year is capped, right, because you need to file rental income on your tax returns, then we look at your personal goals. And then if you want another property under your belt this year, you can go DSCR and get that property because it doesn't go off your personal debt. 
Once you file your tax return and you're able to use that rental income that is on your tax return, you can go back to conventional and vice versa. So you can use that as a tool in your pocket uh, to leverage your debt and leverage your cash flow per year. All right. So DSCR, to recap, does not use your personal debt to income ratio to qualify. So guys, examples of people who this would work really well for are maybe people who have a W-2 income that might limit the amount that they would be pre-approved for, but maybe they've got plenty of cash to make a down payment on a higher price property. So if you've got a million cash, but you only make $75,000 a year, maybe you've had some kind of a windfall and your uh, income will not allow you to to get a loan on a property at that higher price, then this might be an option for you. Or maybe someone who it has recently left W-2 work and they're now doing 1099 and they don't have two years of 1099 income to show to get a conventional loan. I see a lot of people who don't have W-2s who are professional real estate investors who who use these types of loans. So, or if you're just out of conventional loans, if you've got 10 finance conventional properties, this DSCR product might be good for you. Now, Brenna, I think that a lot of people, when they start hearing about this, they're like, oh man, I, I really want to get one of these. But there are some pitfalls here. Actually, before we... we not pitfalls, but some things you want to pay attention to. Uh, with DSCR, you can go ahead and get that right in your LLC where conventional, you have to get in your personal name. So that's another difference. But what are some things that they need to understand before they get a DSCR loan? Because it's not all like sunshine and rainbows and let's just go buy a thousand properties and not have anything to think about. So what are some things we need to think about when getting a DSCR? You do have to have that 20% down and generally they will require six to 12 months reserves depending on the investor that you're going with. Um, a lot of them have prepayment penalties, which means usually the, the general one without buying any points down to lower the prepayment penalty is a five-year prepayment penalty, which means if you sell or refinance in that five-year period, you have to pay that amount of interest. So let's say you refinance in your fourth year or second year of owning the property, then you have to take three years of interest out of what you're getting on that refinance or selling the property. Now, there are everybody a lot of times now can offer a DSCR loan, but you really want to go with somebody that specializes in it because there are options out there that actually the interest rates are very comparable to conventional. And there are also options that don't have prepayment penalties. So that's a win-win if you are in the situation. One of the situations, like Avery mentioned, you're, you can't qualify debt to income ratio wise right now. You do have that 20% down um, to qualify. You can do a DSCR loan without a prepayment penalty. Just do your homework and always ask your lenders if they have options for that. Okay. Yeah. So that prepayment penalty is something you want to keep in mind. If you are using a lender that does have that prepayment penalty, you aren't going to be able to like sell this in 1031. Well, you could just not efficiently um, because you're going to have those, those, you're going to be locked in for a little while. So just keep that in mind. Uh, interest rates are going to be higher on DSCR loans because the it's, it's riskier to the bank. So when you think about it, they're giving you a loan just based on the idea that you're going to do a good enough job with this thing to pay your mortgage, which is, I think, a pretty big risk. <laughs> so they're going to make that money back somewhere, which is typically going to be that interest rate. What's what's typically the down payment? I think you touched on this, but let's go back over that. For typically, it's going to be 20%. 20%. And some 15% down products have popped on and off the market over time. But again, those are going to be more expensive elsewhere. And I think 
for for this type of product, you just want to stick with the the 20. It, sometimes they will make you pay 25% down. What kind of things trigger having to do 25%? Is that a low debt service coverage ratio? Yeah, if it's generally lower than one uh, to one, which again, if your mortgage payment is 3,000 and then net rental income is 3,000, that's a one-to-one ratio. If it's a little bit lower, then they will require 25% down uh, to get you to that lower debt to service coverage ratio. Um, if your loan amount is over you know, m- multiple lenders have different options with this, but normally it's if your loan amounts over 1.2 million, you need uh, 25% down. But generally the rule of thumb is that 20% down. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So this would be like, I would say the second easiest type of loan to find for short-term rentals. Is there anything else we want to touch on on DSCR before we move on? Is there is there an interest only option on some DSR, DSCRs? So there is. So it's um, instead of like a 30 year amortized loan, it'd be like a 40 year amortized loan for the first 10 years are interest only. I just caution people against that. You know, make sure you understand the numbers because it's not a free mortgage. You know, it's all going to back up on you whenever you start to decide to pay that principal and interest. And especially if you have a prepayment penalty, you can't pay more than interest only for those first you know five years. And so you just really want to watch out for that because appraised values then come into play when you possibly want to get out of it when you can. Um, and if you've only paid interest only on it and you owe more than what the property's worth, you'll you'll be upside down. So it does sound attractive. I just I just caution people against choosing that option. If you can't make the full mortgage payment as is, then you really need to run your numbers and figure out you know if that's really going to work for you or not. So I think that is, uh, well, let's talk for a minute before we move on to commercial about the options between whether it's conventional or DSCR between 30-year fixed or arms or um, things like that, because that does change the interest rate. So right now we're in November of 2023. We're at right at 8% interest rates. I think they might've gone down a little bit yesterday, but Anyway, we don't want to focus too much on what the rates are today, but the relationship of how rates change based on what term you choose. Yeah. So 30-year fix is generally going to be, you know, your run-of-the-mill base interest rate. There are 20-year fix that have lower interest rate, but really your payment almost doubles, you know, that for a 30-year fix. So I always say it's not that much difference. Go with a 30-year fixed. And then there's also ARM products. Generally, ARM products on conventional loans are going to be higher than the 30-year fix. Now, on DSCR loans, arms are going to be generally lower than your 30-year fixed. But you want to be careful. You depend, Depending on what type of arm you get is when your interest rate can change. So if you're doing a three-year arm, that means that your interest rate is fixed for the first three years. But let's say you have a five-year prepayment penalty. You want to be aware that that fourth year, your interest rate could go up quite significantly. So I always recommend if somebody's doing an ARM, let's at least do the five-year ARM if you do have a prepayment penalty. That way your interest rate's a little bit lower and you won't have to worry about it going up in the first five years. Okay. And before everybody says, no, no ARMs, that's what caused 2008. No, it isn't. Um, And you need to just be careful no matter what kind of loan you're getting. All types of loans are tools. And they're only as good as the skill of the person using the tool. So if you get alone, whether it's an arm or a 30-year fixed, and screw around and do stupid shit, then stupid shit's going to happen to you. So make sure that an arm can be a good option for some people who have a, a specific 
thing that they're going to do with that and using that tool correctly. Uh, same thing with a 30-year fixed. So just keep that in mind as you're choosing types of loans. They are all tools and uh, you have to be smart with the financing that you are getting. Um, specifically, I want to call out HELOCs right now. So I'm not, I have used a HELOC in my lifetime, but it was a $20,000 HELOC. I, what I don't want to see or where, what kind of hurts me to hear is when people HELOC like 300,000 and pull out 300,000 every last dollar of equity in their primary home to go buy a short-term rental. I think that that is over leveraging and we need to be mindful and, and responsible when it comes to pulling out equity. So just make sure that you guys are are careful with that. It can be really easy and fun to want to go, you know, go really fast and buy a bunch of short-term rentals really fast, but make sure that you're not doing anything that's going to come back and bite you in the future. Because if, if you are going to get a HELOC, I think my main point here is make sure that you're able to make that payment out of whatever your W-2 job is and that you're not relying on all your rentals to pay for that also, because some people forget to put that expense in there. So if you're getting a HELOC, make sure you can pay for it out of your regular income and don't try to make your rentals pay for it. It's just, I've seen a lot of people get over leveraged and I don't want any of you listeners to this podcast to over leverage yourselves. I do want to go back really quick um, because I hear a lot that people think, oh, if I get a DSCR loan, it's not going to report to my credit and it doesn't count against my debt to income. That is completely untrue. Even if for some reason it did not report to your credit report, we have a way um, to see every single type of loan or property that is entitled in your name. So it will count against your debt to income and number of finance properties when you go back to do a conventional loan. If you close it in an LLC, generally it will not count against your personal debt to income or report on your credit report unless you default in payment. Good to know. Uh, Okay, let's move on to commercial financing. So this is going to be the hardest type of actual financing to find. Typically, it, at least in my experience, you're there's not like a big nationwide commercial lender that you can go to. You're going to have to find a lender who is either local to you or local to the property, more likely local to the property. And in my experience so far, you can find them every now and then, but most commercial lenders have not gotten on board with short-term rental yet. Uh, but if you are able to find one who will do one for short-term rental, there are a few things you need to remember about this. So uh, these are great because, again, they're not dependent on your own personal debt-to-income ratio, but there are some things that make it a little more difficult. So with commercial lenders, they're going to want to see a PFS, which is a personal financial statement, and they're going to want to see how much money you're making on everything you own, whether it's real estate, they want to see your W-2, they want to see all of the income you have coming in. They're also going to want to see a business plan for what you're trying to do. Now, typically, commercial banks are going to want to build a long-term relationship with you. So if you're only planning to buy one property in this market, they're probably not going to give you the loan. They're going to want to see that you're going to try and buy multiple properties. They're They're going to want to see success and a track record in other markets. And they're probably going to want you to put some money in their bank. So they're going to be in it for the long haul. So if you're just trying to do a one-off in a bunch of different markets, it's probably not going to work. Um, And then they take your personal financial statement and your business plan, and they go in a room with a bunch of people. They call it going to committee. And 
they all talk about you and it's just like a movie and decide if they want to give you this loan or not. So it can be a little bit more difficult to get, but if you can find one who will do it, then it can be a really good thing to have. But again, keep in mind, it's going to have to be local either to you or the property. So if you live in Texas and you're trying to get a commercial loan in Washington state, the bank of Ohio is probably not going to be the person to give you that. So stick to local banks and credit unions when it comes to this. Um, Brenda, do you have any anything to add? Say, to isn't it generally 20, year, uh, 20 years commercial loan as opposed to 30? Or have they changed um, that? It just depends on the bank because they they're much more flexible with their terms because they don't have a like you know a Fannie Mae to deal with so it's really more on um, what their per, their personal financial statement what their you know what all the other assets that they're lending on and then things like that so it just kind of depends it's much so, more flexible yeah to reiterate what you said um, because my history was with the bank they want your money in their bank. They're not going to just do one property for you. So you would have to put a significant amount in their bank or you know, promise to put that income that you're going to make off that property in their bank. Um, banks will want what's called, it's called a spider web effect, I call it, because they want three things from you. They want either you're like a mortgage, credit card, auto loan, whatever it is, because then they've got you tied into that bank of making payments and most likely putting money there. So if that's the case, you know, maybe strategize and look into that. But also contract date times because how Avery said they meet with a committee. Well, that committee might've already met last week and then they don't meet for another three weeks. And so you have to have be accountable for that and let your realtor know, hey, I need to have a 45 or 60 day close just to make sure you have that time for them to meet. Gotcha. So I think that covers all of that. So last, let's talk about creative financing. So these are things, there's, there's a lot of different types of creative financing, but the main two that we see most of the time are... Um, owner financing and subject to financing. So owner financing is when the owner is acting as the bank. And the only time that you can do this is when the owner owns the property free and clear. So rather than going and making a down payment uh, to a bank and then making monthly payments to them, you're doing that with the owner and you're paying the owner every month. So these types of this type of financing, especially in vacation markets, is not easy to find. So I know there's a, a lot of people out there that might have some big fish stories about having done it, but you're not just going to go out and if there's 20 properties available on the market, I mean, you might not find any that are willing to do this or even able to do this. But it can be a great way to get a property without having to go get a loan and get approval and all that. But keep in mind, before you even ask anybody if they'll do it, make sure that they own the property free and clear. Most sellers in markets like this are not going to want to be wrapped up with you for X amount of years. Like most people in general, just if they're not distressed, typically in these types of markets where it's all vacation homes or all investment properties, these sellers are not going to be terribly distressed. They will probably sell their properties at retail, just a regular loan, clean break before they get in a situation where they want to do anything like um, owner financing or subject to. So subject to is kind of similar to owner financing, but it's when there is an existing loan on the property. And what it does, and I'm not, I have no opinion on the subject. I've never done it. I'm probably never going to do it. I'm not probably never going to do it. I am never going to do it. Um, but there's there's a lot of information out there. Pace Morby, he is the guy uh, when it comes to subject two. So if you have questions on that, definitely follow him and direct any questions to him. Super smart guy. Uh, but for me, I'll just kind of explain what it is to you guys. So 
It's when a seller has a loan. Right now, a lot of people really want to do subject to because we're in a high interest environment. So when you find a seller who has a loan with a lower interest rate than what the rate is today, it's basically where you take over their loan, but it's not official. It's still in their name, but you're paying the mortgage for them and they sell the house to you. So that way you have a lower interest rate than what the the rates are now. You'll probably have to pay the equity as a down payment. So if they've got a $500,000 house, it's worth 700 now. They've got a $400,000 loan at 3%. You will take over. You're not taking it over. That's not a good way to put it. You're going to start paying the mortgage on that 3%, $400,000. But then you'll probably have to make a big down payment to the seller. If it's worth 700, they might ask for the full 200,000 in equity or 300,000 in equity, or they might just ask for part of it and then take a second note where you're also making a payment to the seller on that equity. Now, there's a lot of legalities and things that go along with this that I'm not qualified to really talk about that could really get hairy if you do this the wrong way. So make sure you are talking to attorneys and title companies in the states that you are trying to do this to make sure that you are following all the rules. Because even then, I'm not sure like really how, how much rule following you're doing. So just, just know that there's a lot of moving parts to that and it can get really hairy and you need to make sure that you talk in depth with an attorney before you try and do this. But again, very similar thing to owner financing. They don't have to own the property free and clear, but a lot of times sellers are just going to want to make a clean break, get me my money, I'm getting out of here. Like I know I've never sat across the closing table from a buyer or seller and said, man, I really want to talk to you once a month for the the next five years. So uh, just keep that in mind. It can be a really creative way to help a seller who might have become distressed and for you to get a property without having to get a conventional or DSCR commercial loan. But again, attorneys, attorneys, attorneys all the time. Ask them. Make sure you're you're not breaking any rules. Um, Okay. Anything else? That was the last point I wanted to make on types of financing. Is there anything else that we need to discuss financing wise that our listeners could benefit from hearing? No, I just would say, you know, just go with somebody that, you know, Avery mentioned in the beginning saying that, you know, everybody can do a conventional loan. Yeah, everybody can. But do they really know how to in the market that you're going in? So, you know, with Doug being on the call, if you're looking in Washington, then you need to talk to him and get his recommendations. You want to work with a lender that knows the area, knows what they're doing, um, knows realtors in that area that they're actually working with actively. Uh, Because if you're trying to get a loan in Washington state and you're using Bank of Ohio, like (laughs) they don't they don't know that market. So uh, just be very careful with that. Do your your homework. Always ask the questions. Don't feel bad about asking like, hey, do you do a lot of business in this area? Because that's the link between you and your house that you're going to get to cash flow from. So you really need to make sure that that's tight. 100 percent. So Brenna, if any of these listeners want to get a loan or explore lending options with the mortgage shop, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can um, email me at Brenna, B-R-E-N-N-A at mortgage shop, S-H-O-P dot C-O. Our website is mortgage dot shop. So you can go there. Pretty simple. You can call us at 800-816-7982. 
um, or find me on Facebook. We do have, you know, if you're a part of Avery's groups, then Avery and I also have a group called Financing Short-Term Rentals. So you can go ahead and join that as well. And all of your financing questions can be asked in there as well. All right. And if you're ready to start shopping for a property in Washington with Doug, you can email us at agents at the shop.com and we will get you connected. If you just want to hang out with us and learn more about short-term rentals, there's a few ways you can do that. One, you can join our private clients only Facebook group. Oh, sorry. It is not private. We have one of those too. You can join our public Facebook group with 60,000 people. Same title as my book right behind me. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or every Thursday, we have a live Q&A call that you can join and just ask us questions about short-term rentals. And you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Thanks, guys. <laughs>